Welcome to episode 225. What is going on with your poo? That's right, your poo. Doing a number two and leaving your phone out of the bathroom is a really good thing and it's even better if you do it daily and it's even better if you actually look at it because it tells you loads about the health of your gut, your body and the connection between your diet and your overall state of health. This is a conversation that I had on the Roll With The Punches podcast which had a few good laughs in it talking about your microbiome health, how to rate your poo, which foods to eat to recover your gut health and also something that I've dubbed the pandemic hangover and the importance of community and connection in resolving that. And also, even more about poo. (laughs) All right, for everyone that wants a healthy gut, let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? We've got a lot of shit talking going on today. But first, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And often gut health is a significant part of getting healthy, managing your sugar cravings, and being able to absorb the nutrition that you need to lose weight or recover your health. Good old Tiffany Cook was kind enough to hook me up with the audio from her show, Roll With The Punches, so I can share with you the shit talking that we did, and I think that there's loads of good shit in it that you'll benefit from. So (laughs) here is that conversation. My friend Maddie Lansdowne, welcome back to the show. Tiff, what's going on? Oh, well, my life's falling apart here, as you can see in the studio. My life. (laughs) Tell everyone why my life's falling apart. Because, well, you own a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you own a cat and you never gave me a heads up on this. My cat, Alfie, is a therapy cat. Like, so he is the most placid, chill. Actually, most of my friends that come over call him a dog. Like, he is not a problem in any way ever. (laughs) I prayed for a cat dog. I've actually said I'm getting a cat, but I'm finding a cat that thinks it's a dog. Yeah, that's uh, that's Alfie. So he's so chill. And he also doesn't have any teeth. So it's it's good because it can't hurt me. (laughs) That's right. I remember you telling me. Where are his teeth? Yeah, his teeth, he kept getting, because he came from the streets, uh, and he kept getting tooth infections and they kept having to take one out, two out, three out. And then it was yeah. just like, get rid of them all. <laughs> yeah, basically take them all out, which makes food preparation like time consuming. Oh, um, otherwise he, he vomits. But um, but yeah, he's just super snuggly. He's like a bit of a rag doll in that way. Just pick him up and love him. And he's like, all right, I guess I'm being loved. <laughs> oh, see, I've, this is my latest protocol for me to sleep. I, my sleep's gone down. I'd say 30 to 60 minutes on average across the board. Um, And that's with me making very conceited efforts to catch up on it. But as I was getting up this morning at stupid o'clock, because I wake at stupid o'clock now, I I now close her into the studio to sleep because Mm -hmm. she just walks all over my face all night and plays (laughs) with the curtains and keeps me awake. So I, I shut her in, the, and in order to shut her in the thing, I've got a. I had to construct this mat to protect the carpet because she'll scratch at the door, and then even the the, the mat's kind of a bit worse for wear. So I've had to patch that up, mm-hmm. and she will she will like pretty much get there and have a little scratch at the door at stupid o'clock. So I wake up and I have to go have a little, you know, five a.m. wee. 
Mm-hmm. To crawl back into bed, try like with my eyes closed, trying not to get any blue yep. light in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Navigating my way to the loo with my eyes shut. And as I was walking back, I was thinking in my head, I wonder what the balance in my life and longevity is, the balance between this lack of sleep, because we know how important lack of sleep is, like it's number mm-hmm. one for our for our health. Lack of sleep and then this love and connection and oxytocin mm. that she gives me. I was like these are the things in life I'd like to measure, but these are the things I'm really glad I'm aware of because I was because I've I noticed that I'm I was getting annoyed about that lack of sleep. I'm like, oh, I already don't sleep great, so this is a, this is an area in my life I don't need disorder in. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, yeah, but yeah, but you know, there's a trade off. Yeah, there's a trade off here. Yeah, well, so I mean, there's not, yeah. there's not really any difference between the life expectancy of people without uh, kids versus people with kids, right? So, and people with kids have massive sleep deprivation in exchange for love connection and, yes. and that type of thing. So, yeah, whether it actually plays out in the end is probably negligible. Yeah, I'll probably be more um, prone to... <laughs> I won't say that, that's inappropriate to say. It's <laughs> a good way to start a Monday. <laughs> anyway, it's been a big year, hasn't it? We're going to talk about what a big year it's been. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a huge year. Yeah, good year? Good year. Well, for me, I would say the opposite of a good year. Um, basically, it's been a pretty tough year for me personally. But um, uh, yeah, I think what I found both with clients, myself, family, and particularly those in Melbourne, um, is that, yeah, we really thought, 2022 was going to be like back to normal finally you know everybody taking on the world uh, again and traveling and doing all the things and it's actually been a bit of a hangover um and people have really yeah found it tough to get back out there or like relationships that might have existed before 2020 or during 2020 have kind of gone by the wayside and yeah just people are disconnected they're not as confident uh, a lot of the you know community activities that they had going on in their lives are not there anymore um and so yeah i think a lot of people found this year in my eyes me included much tougher than anticipated because i thought at the start of the year it was like let's take on the world again here we go we're finally back <laughs> mm. be interesting to see who adapts well to change i know that like i adapt i agree with that but i also adapt really well to change so there's mm-hmm. been some real positives in that for me. I think back of like, you know, when you do the standard December 31st fucking carry on on Facebook, oh, what are you, you know, and you read them every year about (laughs) whatever bullshit you've been passionate about that year. And every year I would see, when I look back, I would see this theme, but it was almost stronger each year, that each year I was saying it it was tougher than the last, but it was more beautiful than the last. Mm. And then I would stupidly invite the world to give me more of that and they'll get to the next year. I'm like, you bugger, you've done it again. <laughs> you've given me a tough one, but you've yep. also given me a beautiful one. And so, I, you know, I think people's mindsets and, and resilience is two, twofold. One is if people are okay with change, then they kind of sit well with that and make the best of it. But it's, yeah, it, it that wore down everybody's resilience, what we went through. And I don't think that we were very aware of, you know, the undercurrents of what was happening, the grief and the change and the relationships and the strains and the 
the things that were going to be left in our emotional system that we didn't even know was happening while we were waiting for normal to come back. Oh, absolutely. And I think as well, the one of the interesting things about social media and the internet is obviously when it came came about, um, we were all like, oh, we're going to be more connected than ever um, and it's going to be amazing. And then as time has gone on, we've become more and more aware of the fact that we're like more connected but more unfulfilled. And because we weren't able to physically see each other, you know, as often in those couple of years, I think the hangover, a real part of that hangover is, disconnection um and that's what i've Mm. discovered it Mm. personally for myself is that going into lockdown i was in you know i was in a long-term relationship i was in a band um i was in a number of extracurricular activities that happened on you know outside of that and then all of those went online um and just how unfulfilling your whole life on zoom is and it's just like it leaves you with this real empty feeling and then sort of coming around to 2022 um everybody sort of staying online. A lot of those things stayed online because businesses find it economical and, and, and that type of thing. And my own business has run online since 2018, but now on the other side of it, I'm really encouraging as many people as I can to go and go to the, you know, go to the gym classes and go and go to the event in person, because I think it's, yeah, the more we sit in front of this social media and or zoom all day, every day, it's just a part of our soul that just rots away without that, ability to sense the other human being in front of us. Oh, it's so true. I, when I started the podcast, I thought and said, when it gets, you know, when I have sponsors and get a bit, like grows a bit, I'll, I won't do PT. I probably won't mm-hmm. do much at all. Do one or two clients. I do as much as I did before. Cause I love it because mm-hmm. I need that getting in front, you know, get out get in front of people. And that's, that's a part of my connection. If I didn't have that, I'd go crazy. It's funny but- you say that because I've been thinking about, well, I have been looking for a just a small part-time job, um, literally just to have something outside of my apartment. Like I have a great apartment functionally, but I'm just so over being here. <laughs> like yep. I, I go to the cafe all the time now. I go to the local library just to like exist in a space with other human beings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and that was a silver lining for the pandemic for me was – I was in the gym before, but I didn't realize how taxed I was from just the amount of extrovertedness of my life of just <laughs> always being in front of people and being the trainer and being the person. And, mm-hmm. and, we, and then we go into lockdown and I was like, oh, oh, that was very tiring. I didn't realize how tired I was. And now I've got this good balance of because to be doing only PT and fitness stuff was all one or or not all one-on-one but very heavily one-on-one but all in person and all the same and I'm just someone that it's taken me this long into my career to get the right amount of variety, the right Mm -hmm. amount of a little bit of this and a little bit of that and I don't think, like I'll never change that now and, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, I I totally get it. if it wasn't for, I guess, for the, yeah, all the lockdowns and then this year occurring for me and sort of slowly descending into a pit of hell, um, (laughs) I would not have figured out like the importance of like most Thursday nights I go to a language event because I, you know, learned Spanish and could speak Spanish. And so I didn't realize that, that like the meaning of that 
just that little thing each week was about human connection and contact mm. and, and space from my apartment and space from work. And so I got back into footy as well, um, which I discovered I'm basically an old man. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up in the country, right? So I went to footy thinking, oh yeah, like senior footy. It's like everyone from 18 to 50. No, you're in the city, Lansdowne, and everybody is 22. <laughs> So, but again, I like, cause younger me would be like the whole point of sport is to win. And now I'm like, oh, the whole point of coming here is so that at some point next year, I don't throw myself off a balcony. <laughs> cause it's got such a different and more meaningful function than just winning local footy now, you know? Yeah. I go down to my boxing coach once a week now. And the excitement on that day is palpable for me. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But in the middle of, you know, I spent all last year going, I'm not sparring anymore. I'm not sparring anymore. No more <laughs> head trauma. I'm definitely not not even sparring. And now I spar several times a week with my friends. <laughs> but a same, the exact same thing that I said about the cat before, I had the same process where I, one day I went, there is a huge hole and a, and a lack of connection and purpose that exists because of that boxing is taken away from me and I don't mm. have that now. And we know that loneliness kills more people than smoking. So I was going, well, I've just taken the biggest killer in the world and in, and embedded him in, in my life and said I'm not doing it anymore because of my brain health. Well, how can I balance these two? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And I think – possibly a lot of people listening are maybe hopefully joining the dots for themselves as well. Like, um, and I think the, the sort of the modern day family as well was sort of catapulting itself towards this place of like, everybody has to do everything on their own. Mums have don't, you know, don't ask for help. Dads don't ask for help. It's just figure it out yourselves. Uh, whereas there used to be such, you know, 50, 60, 100 years ago, whatever it is, uh, there used to be so much more community, which is like that saying, it takes yeah. a village to raise the kids, you know. Um, community was just an inherent part of waking up every morning. Mm. This is hard though because the marketing and messaging and the idea of success and everything that's coming into our psyche is really about, and we talk about it all the time, it's about performance and success and us and measuring ourselves and mm -hmm. It's hard to, like, just the subliminal messaging, it's going in. Yeah. And we have to be so conscious. We have to be so conscious of going, am I connecting? What am I actually getting out of this? Mm -hmm. Like, I looked at that. When, I, when it came to boxing, I looked at that a lot from the start and it's changed and evolved over time. And I was always like, what is this intense pull to this sport and why do I, what am I getting out of it? And in the beginning, that was a very personal me message. And now it's, like I said, it's that connection. It's like the human connection, the proximity. I've talked about this with a few different, you know, therapists and things on the show. I'm like the, the proximity of boxing and having human beings close to me mm -hmm. in, a, in a manner that I enjoy, you know, like that's meaningful. For the, so meaningful. for the little island that likes to just hang out in our Elwood apartments <laughs> shouting at people every now and then. You know, it's I go the, the science of human touch and connection is very interesting and I as much as it's just a punch in the face that I'm wearing from people that doesn't sound <laughs> that loving, you know, maybe for me that's love. 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, the other thing is on a on a um, health level is that whenever we spend physical time in the same space as somebody, we literally our microbiomes inoculate one another. So you you breathe in the microbiome and stuff that people breathe out when you're in a room with anyone. And that increases the biodiversity in people's guts on their skin, in their mouth. Um, and therefore it, it, it makes you healthier and stronger and more immune because you're making a more diverse immune profile or immune system in your gut. Um, and that's good for digestion. It's good for resilient, like biological resilience. And so the more time we spend with more people, uh, the, you know, the more likely we are to have a healthier microbiome because we're setting ourselves up for a defense system that is diverse because it's diverse in its exposure. So many things went through my head. Then one was like, oh, that is fascinating. The other one was, oh, that is revolting. So I was like <laughs> visualizing people's skanky breath just like yeah. squinting. <laughs> well, it's funny, when I'm, whenever I'm on a train, I consciously do some subtle breath work. Do you? Yeah. Because I'm like, the more of Give this Give me the bullshit, microbiome. Yeah, the more of this crap that I get in, the more resilient I will become. And then I think of all the lockdowns and I'm like, oh, we screwed up there then, didn't we? Just yeah, another no, totally. thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, Were you and- out trying to breathe them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's the, it's the same thing with like going different to different places like whether it be people or places you should go as, to as many places as you can that are new because same thing the the bacteria and viruses and different things that are in the air in those places um are going to be different to where you live so uh, the same kind of idea so being diverse in the places you go is important too wearing uh, wearing no shoes as in being barefoot um, mm. in the places you go as well to uh, same thing inoculate and diversify your skin microbiome and your connection to the earth is that's another conversation but um, yeah same idea the diversity of bacteria and exposure make your cells and biology much more resilient mm. you're gonna make me think of bacteria now all the time it's kind of <laughs> gross it's kind of like it's, it's isn't it funny though when you like listening to that going, oh, yeah, this is this makes me healthier, but there's part of my brain that's going, ooh, bacteria. And it's like now I'm going to, now like I'm literally just visualising bacteria crawling all over my walls. and. Well, there's more, there's more bacteria on planet Earth in weight than humans by a country <laughs> mile basically. <laughs> However, because of that, if it was remotely dangerous, the human species wouldn't exist. 99.9% mm. of it is either good or harmless. Otherwise, there's so much of it, we would have been wiped out a long time ago. Mm. I've got bacteria questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know how we should eat um, uh, fermented foods mm-hmm. and all of that, you know, kimchi and whatever those other ones are that I've got in my fridge, sauerkraut. Yep. Um, should we? I've, I've read stuff on those, you know, in various places about, how much of that we should eat and what for like should we eat that every day or and some say no you should have a different variety of all different you should have too much of the same stuff talk to me about that food yeah sure so um i think it depends like all health things it depends on the situation the individual um but i would say you know for the person that consumes a pretty common diet uh, like, like as in, you know, maybe cereal for breakfast and some kind of sandwich or roll for lunch, you know, or last night's pasta, that kind of thing. Maybe a really refined, 
you know, carbohydrate type diet, which is what the, obviously the government pr- promote and the, sh- the supermarkets promote. I would say somebody like that definitely should be putting it in every single day because mm. there's there's two sides to the seesaw, right? One is that the fermented foods increase the biodiversity of your bacteria and introduce new species and keep um, maybe smaller species alive. But the other side is that uh, the diet we have kills species uh, and removes species. And also if you're eating a very limited diet, uh, a few of the species die out because there's no need for them. There's greater need for the species that deal with the refined carbohydrates and no need for the species that deal with, say, the sauerkraut, right? Mm. Just, you know, just to sort of make simplify the example. But so the idea is twofold is that, sure, we can add in loads of uh, fermented food and biodiverse food, but if there's no actual prebiotics or so the prebiotics are the, the food that feed the probiotics and the probiotics come in on your fermented food. Um, mm. If we're not actually feeding the probiotics with prebiotics, AKA a diverse, colorful, whole real food diet, then it's all in some ways kind of pointless. Um, so, cause yeah, you're not, you're, you're putting one in and not fueling it basically. So it's just sort of going mm. through you. It, it might be beneficial for a few hours or a day, um, but yeah, if you're going to pile on unhelpful food that kill that bacteria or don't utilize that bacteria, uh, then obviously, you know, the body is very much, you don't use it, you, you lose it type, type logic. So, so yeah, but I think most people, like it's one of the, one of my golden rules with everybody I work with is fermented food and adding that in. And so many people have gut issues, whether it be bloating, whether it be regular constipation, whether it be, they secretly have to run to the toilet after every single meal and they don't really like, well, I, I had a big family lunch on the weekend um, and someone at lunch was literally talking about the fact that we, you know, there was ice cream and they were like, I know this is going to go bad. Like, <laughs> I can't, like this is not going to be, this is not going to be good for me. And I even said, do you have lactase? Um, and they, uh, they, they said, yeah, but my, my issues are way bad, way, like really, really bad. Way worse <laughs> they had than, it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And so, so many people just have done that for so long that they just accept that eating food results in these disgusting, colorful, <laughs> emotional toilet trips. Um, <laughs> and it's so common, like, but everybody, no one talks about it because it's embarrassing and private and, and that type of thing until they get in front of a new nutritionist that says, you know, what are you on the Bristol chart? What does your poo look like? And they're like... <laughs> What's the Bristol chart? Oh, the Bristol charts. Um, so uh, anyone that's listening that's been to a nutritionist before or a dietitian or, or possibly a doctor, um, the Bristol chart's a rating system for your poo, basically. <laughs> and so you literally just have to look at, look in the toilet, uh, and you'll be. It goes from one to one to eight, um, and ideally you want to be a four. Four is like perfect. It's like a smooth thirty centimeter sausage, basically. <laughs> the, the just thirty move- centimeters. Yeah, or it can be 30 centimetres made up of like, you know, two 15s. The, the worst you can get is like three 10s-ish. Um, but like a really healthy gut will produce, yeah. 30 one... centimetres is a big Bristol. Yeah, it's a single bowel movement. Just Because I'm <laughs> um, competitive, as you were talking, I was like, I, want, I wonder if I've got champion poo. <laughs> yeah, check it out. I want to be a four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, all you have to do is Google the Bristol chart. There'll be loads of different diagrams. Um, and How do it goes, you spell Bristol? B R I S T O L. Excellent. I've got it right. I've written it down already. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> Googling shit when we finish this. 
<laughs> well, it's uh, the Bristol chart is such a strong indicator of how your gut health is. Like, it's so easy to be like, oh, I go to the toilet, you know, however often, and it's as easy as looking and then scoring it, and it tells a nutritionist or even a doctor so much about what's going on in your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it just so incredibly uh, common that so many people are like ones, twos, you know, six, sevens. It's very rare that somebody's even close to a four. And that's just because the regular diet of most Australians, Americans, you know, people that come through the work that I do um, leads to that kind of thing. And it's just been accepted that in order to eat this way, this is the toilet experience that comes with it. Um, and so that, which goes back to the, uh, the, the probiotic fermented food conversation. Mm. That is why it's like a golden rule as part of what I do with anyone like sauerkraut, kimchi, pickles, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, is it's a must. It's an absolute must if we're going to rebuild the gut. However, you also don't want to go in too hard because often you can cause gut issues because if you think about it like good guys and bad guys, if you think you know, you've been eating one particular way for however often, uh, you got all of these uncomfortable toilet experiences. So that let's say there's lots of bad guys in your gut, there's, you know, that need clearing out. If you put in on day one, too many good guys, and you just absolutely overrun your system, <laughs> In a few hours, you will be bolting to the toilet because you've basically sent in an army that's just <laughs> do, super effective. Like they're doing their job amazingly and it's just you're firing that stuff out the back end. So you want to build up your resilience. And I often tell people like, you know, maybe even half a teaspoon to start with, like really small and then slowly build up over time so you can slowly build the colonies in your the bacterial colonies in your gut over mm. time so we can build them up and it can sort stuff out progressively. Because I don't know if, if anybody listening has ever gone towards like a kombucha for the first time ever and then just drank it like it was a Pepsi and then 24 hours later they were like not in good shape. Um, really? Yeah, for that exact reason because they've just smashed it. Like, um, and they've just put in all of these good guys uh, and the good guys are going to work doing what they need to do. But the bad guys are like, let's get out of here as fast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I've and never, I've yeah. always drank a lot of kombucha and uh, yeah, I've never had a problem. So I must have, I'm proud of myself. I must have, you know, I must be doing all right on the Bristol chart. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, check out the Bristol chart. You'll get an idea of where your gut health is at. So, and the other thing is when you change diets as well, and when you introduce some of this stuff, it doesn't mean you'll just go straight to four on the Bristol chart. It might deviate because your gut needs to adapt. We need to introduce that biodiversity. We need your body to adapt to that biodiversity uh, before it's sort of changing. And and you might go on a weight loss diet, or you might need to go to carnivore for whatever reason, or vegan. Um, And there'll be a phase where, yeah, you're going to the toilet doesn't quite feel or look the same but yeah there might be an adaptation phase that needs to happen but i strongly believe that sauerkraut should be a part of anything even when i tried um carnivore myself and then i ended up getting to a place where it was like meat and sauerkraut for that biodiversity yeah yeah right so picture this right unlocking your potential conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. 
All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. When a colony dies off, when a particular type of bacteria dies off in your gut because you're not eating a diverse amount of foods, what is, how does that come back? Does that only come back from specifically reintroducing it? Or if you start to eat particular foods that require that, does it like just catch a ride in, get an Uber back or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are actually some colonies and keeping in mind microbiome research is very much in its infancy. It's like your gut is another universe. There's so much to learn. And because there's so many different colonies, in order to figure out how does one colony affect the other in a, in a space where the, you know, a healthy microbiome might have a thousand different colonies, right? Um, so it's a very complex space that we still know very little about in comparison to what we will know in, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Mm. Um, but as far as we know now, there are some colonies that are wiped out for good. Um, and don't come back and can cause uh, long-term gut health challenges oh. that are very hard to turn around. Um, so otherwise, we can reintroduce them via fermented food. Or the other thing is all living things ideally should be covered in bacteria, right? So which is one of the issues with, um, you know, hyper... I guess, hypersterile vegetables in a mainstream supermarket that have had layers and layers of um, glyphosate and, you know, herbicides and pesticides on them is that the, the life on the, the plant itself has been wiped out. But it should, most things from a farmer's market, that type of thing that have you know come straight from the farm, hopefully should be covered in their own bacteria that keeps that plant alive uh, type thing. So yeah, there's definitely the idea of hitching a ride in, which is why a diverse diet should also bring stuff in, but it also should reignite different things as well. Um, and I guess as well, if it's not there, it definitely needs to be introduced. So yeah. it's it sort of, yeah, it needs to come in on food or like, like as in sauerkraut can have up to like 300 different species, uh, which if you get a good sauerkraut, when you first open it, there should be a pop, like the, it should pop and it should, um, there should be lots of bubbles, air bubbles um, mm -hmm. coming out of it because there's like life that is at work. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's really, it really makes you aware that you're like, whoa, this jar is alive. Like it's literally alive. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I love about those types of foods for me? This might be a weird thing or maybe everyone feels this way, but when I make those choices and include that sort of stuff in my diet, there's this weird kind of, excite like my not just I don't even just consciously crave it it's like my body craves it the way that it craves fucking chocolate mm, like yes. the excitement I'm like oh yes I can't wait to have some sauerkraut on that and it's like the experience like it's not bad it tastes good but it doesn't taste amazing it's <laughs> it's not really in line with the level of excitement I have for putting this sauerkraut on my plate 
Yeah, I found exactly the same thing. Like, and a lot of people hear about these healthy foods or sauerkraut or whatever, and they're like, "Ugh, gross," you know. <laughs> and I was the same ten years ago when I first I gave it a go, and I was like, "This is disgusting." <laughs> um, and I, I I tell people the same story that you just shared with me. Like now, I have this odd craving for this flavor that isn't particularly joyous. It's not like it's not like a chocolate experience, yeah. but I still am like, "Oh, I want that." It's interesting. I make this. I was talking about this with my the people in my uh, la- latest program. There's a particular breakfast that I'll often have that's not that taste. Like I'm a real t- like I like super tasty food, like chili, salty, sweet, whatever. Like I like to have a lot of flavor in food. I'm not someone to eat stuff bland. Same. And sometimes I have this. I can't remember who introduced me to it years ago, but like this pancake that I make with eggs and oats. And I just cook eggs and oats together and I put um, just avocado on it. Just av- And now avocado is pretty bland by itself. There's no salt mm-hmm. or anything. And I was telling them how with my PH360 app, Shay, that tells me all the amazing shit. So the same thing that happens with sauerkraut happens with, so I know I look through and I'm like linseeds and chia and all of these things that are really good for my biology. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, so I'll just easily shove those in because I can't even tell they're there and I feel excited about it. But I love this breakfast and when I start having it each day, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to have that. And it's weird to me because I'm like, it's not, that hasn't got any flavour. And I'm like, what is going on with my body that, what is my body getting out of that that it's really craving and loving? Mm. How weird is that? Yeah, well, it's, I guess that's the amazing thing about our taste receptors is that, you know, it connects to our biological requirement and need for things. And so once the body's conditioned into a state where it's like, oh, we get a lot out of this, um, it, yeah, the messages that go from gut to brain to tongue, uh, a combination of one, yes, pleasure just for the taste uh, and what's going on with the breakdown of the food in your mouth, but also the, the nutrition that is coming as a result of that. Yeah. Um, the same happens with water. When I drink a load of water out of nowhere, first few days I'm like smashing this water going, Fuck, I'm so thirsty. I've never been so <laughs> thirsty. And it's because and I and I go, it's because my brain's going, oh, now she gets the message and relates it to water so we can ask for water. Whereas before I wouldn't listen. So it's like, well, just go and eat something because there's fucking water in that and you're clearly not going to listen to the water message. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I think what you're highlighting is the fact that you've learnt to understand your biology, right? Which is, yeah. you know, so many of us are super busy and I guess we're in a world as well that where food has just kind of been put down the priority list. It's like, mm-hmm. We don't have dinner time anymore. We don't all sit around a table. We don't prepare food together. And so in our in the modern society, it's like, oh, food doesn't really matter. Just find a way to get it into your stomach as fast as possible. Don't think about it. Don't do it. And so when it comes to, and this is, I guess, maybe why I do a lot of the work I do around emotional eating and yeah. healing people's relationship with food, because people are shocked to find out that, oh, if we actually strip a lot of this back and get present in our eating and we consciously eat, uh, we start to realize, oh, actually things taste good or yeah, I'm not actually hungry, I'm thirsty, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is a really common one. And so people need to get, I guess, reacquainted with the signals that their body send them because so many of us are not literate in our body uh, and don't understand the feelings that come up, don't understand what they mean. And so we're just kind of on autopilot. And, and for most people, that autopilot is sugar. 
It's just refined mm. sugar, whether it be chocolate, whether it be croissants, whether it be, you know, pasta, you know, that's usually the go-to. Any type of one emotion, but also just physical experience in the body. It's just like, oh, I must be hungry. It's like um, we all grew up with the idea from our mums and grandmas that as soon as your tummy rumbled, you must be hungry. <laughs> and still, if, you, if you're around anybody and you make your stomach makes a noise, somebody will be like, oh, are you hungry? You know? <laughs> and that's not really a sign of hunger at all. It's just your body like doing its work, basically. <laughs> but it's us misunderstanding the signs that, is, that, are sent, that the body is sending us. I mean, it might mean hunger for some people. They might be like, oh, yeah, I'm hungry. Um, but yeah. it's just, yeah, I think we need to become more body literate. When I used to have a real job, I would, you could, I was always looking at the clock to see what time lunch was. And what, mm-hmm. like, I would, you know, I would eat breakfast and then on the way to work, sometimes have already eaten my lunch before I got there if I took lunch. Like, I was oh, such a little foodie. But um, it would always grab me because if someone said, Oh, do you, you want to go for lunch? And I would be like, Oh, I'm not really hungry yet. And then I'd look at the time and go, Oh, God, it's 12. Within five minutes of doing my work again, I was legitimately, my stomach was legitimately hungry. I was like, okay, well, now I'm hungry because my brain just told my body that it's 12 o'clock mm-hmm. and that's what time we have our lunch. Yeah, totally. What's going I think, on there? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, routines, habits, um, like we've got often like build our sense of familiarity and safety around a routine, right? It's why mm-hmm. we're creatures of habit. And so for, for many people, the idea that they get their either their pleasure at that, maybe they hate their job. No, you know, most people are doing unfulfilling work. Um, and so that, that there's that aspect of like, oh, finally, I get my hit of goodness today. <laughs> I hate this job. Fucking spreadsheets suck or stacking <laughs> shelves is like... Like not where I imagined I'd be at 45, you know? <laughs> and so the highlight of the day is eating my sandwich, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. But there's also the the biological thing, which is most of those people are not eating enough protein. Most of those people are not eating enough fermented food. Therefore, their gut's not programmed correctly. So it's predictable to me, like on a very general level, that that person's got a low diversity in their gut. They've also uh, putting in food that creates hunger. So your refined sugars, carbohydrates, Hydrates and grains often promote hunger for most people because it sends up your blood sugar, sends up your insulin, uh, which usually promotes hunger and uh, means that you feel less fulfilled from the meal that, meal that you're having because mm-hmm. it's highly likely if you're eating that way, there's not enough protein, which is the thing that your body really wants. Uh, and there's loads of studies that uh, show that you know humans really struggle to regulate their relationship with refined sugars and grains and and that's yeah. particularly the case um, in multiple species when it comes to searching for protein so what they've found is that whether it be insects whether it be any type of mammal whether it be humans is that we will overeat carbohydrates in order to get enough protein so wow. we've got it we've got a protein quota but we don't necessarily have a carbohydrate quota. That's why we, none of us can regulate our, um, our carbohydrate intake. But try and overeat a steak. You can't. You can't do it. You, mm. you get to a point where you're just like, oh, I am done. But you can always find a way to put another fried chip in. Like, <laughs> always. Yes. Right? So, but that's because but you'll stop putting the chips in if you've hit your protein quota. That's so true. Um. I was thinking about, so when we heal our relationships with food, what's interesting about that is the, so the idea is always really hard. It's hard to, when we take so much pleasure in food, someone takes pleasure in food, 
Mm-hmm. And to change that relationship and go, let's start to look at food as a fuel source and let's look at our relationship and what we're getting out of it and where can we get what we need to get out of it. Like if if we're getting fucking, I don't know, like all of this pleasure or love or it's a highlight of our day mm-hmm. and then we take that away and we find like to find that highlight somewhere else is going to be far more fulfilling like when we find that in relationships or connection or activities but we're so averse to doing it because we're kind of addicted to don't take that away from me I don't know where to get it I have possibly a controversial thought here okay which is that so if we think about media the news you know government advertising all of the different things and social media particularly now is that and the sugar industry all of that is designed for us to have an emotional response that eventually addicts us to the cycle of food consumption or your phone. Show me someone that's not addicted to their phone. And and trying to regulate this for myself, I don't have social media apps on my phone. I download Facebook on Wednesdays to promote the podcast and I delete it straight away. I don't have Instagram on there. I don't have Twitter. I don't have any of them. I have one chat app that I talk to my friends. That's it. Um, Because I know this, right? So I think in the last let's say maybe since the 70s, you know, I mean, the sugar industry really took off in the late sort of 50s, early 60s, is that what what's happened along that time with advertising, marketing, even TV shows, all of this stuff is designed to trigger emotional response, right? Yeah. Because it means we become, become a fan, we, we love the food, we get in this cycle of consumption. And I actually think, especially it's funny because I'm an emotional eating coach is that we actually need less emotional attachment to the things we do every day. People want to love their job and they want to find purpose in doing up their shoelaces and they want (laughs) to, and they want to go towards food for their happiness. And we're on this cycle of chasing down the rabbit hole dopamine fundamentally, but like love, nurture connection from every experience we have. And actually that's the problem because you can never fill that cup right? So actually we should be practicing taking the emotion out of things that should be normal, routine, functional things in our life that serve a purpose. Like for instance, going to work produces money so we can eat. So why do you have to necessarily love your work? You should not hate it, but it's a a functional thing that we should go and do. And I'm not saying like, you know, a lot of people, I love my work, but there are parts of my work that I don't do that I know require to be done in order to achieve paying the bills. Right. Um, Mm. And so I think we actually, there's a lot of things we need to practice taking the emotion out of and what, what that might involve is regulating a relationship with sugar. So you can get control of a more stable self. That's not in pursuit of happiness and dopamine all of the time, watching less Netflix and, and reading less, uh, maybe less books that you're addicted to, like regulating your relationship with these things that take you on this emotional journey, mm. because the more you can, t- you can condition yourself for the emo- emotional roller coaster, just like sugar, the more you will crave it. So I think there needs to be things that we regulate our relationship with in a way that we become more stoic and like this is just a functional thing and its purpose is in the fact that I'm doing it, that it creates money or it creates you know, security or it creates the home that I live in, um, you know, or it feeds the family, which is really important because dinner time matters. Not, oh, you know, cooking's not really for me. It doesn't really fill me with joy. It fucking <laughs> is the reason you're alive. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's the reason you woke up this morning, literally. Um, so, so that's kind of the way I think of it. I actually think like getting healthy, losing weight, fixing your gut, finding a job you love, finding a relationship you love is actually about becoming 
less emotional about the things that don't require emotion. You've got a really, really good point. And the more you kept talking about that, the more I mulled it over and really agree with it. I remember the first time I did a food diary for my nutritionist years ago when I wanted to put on weight to move up a weight division in boxing. And I was like, well, I know how to do that, but I probably shouldn't do it with seven blocks of old gold. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I saw her and I did this food diary and she looks at it and she's like, oh, it's very, and I'm like erratic, right? And everything was healthy on there, but it was trick healthy. Fucking trick mm-hmm. healthy. It was the old, I'll make some bloody bliss balls. You know, there was all the pretend, but you could see this, this, and it went with my personality, this, this fucking go and stop and go and stop and up and down and peak and trough and peak and trough. And that was how my day was structured with food. And you, but you could see the sugars, you know, you could see me grabbing at these fast pretend, pretend healthy sugars. Mm-hmm. Um, but even just when I was talking to Karen Hurd the other day on uh, diet and ADHD and she was talking about sugar again and how to really heal the adrenals. You can't just take what like it's really, she goes, it's three months to heal the adrenals. But when we live in the world we live in today, there's other stresses. So it's, you can't just do the food because yeah. sometimes it takes 18 months because we have jobs and family and stresses. So it's, and all of these things are doing something to our body that food is doing as well. So it's understanding that, you know, I get sh- the shits with the whole sugar-free thing when people are like, I'm going sugar-free, and then they go and eat fucking rice malt syrup. Oh, I'm yeah. like, well, you're fucking not going sugar-free. Like, what's your purpose of this? If you just want a story to tell, then, yep, you're doing it. But mm. if you're going to go to other versions of sugar that do the same shit to your body and to your bloody taste buds, you're really not doing anything. Well, that's why when most people get off alcohol, they go to sugar, right? They just replace one emotional nurture tool with another. Um, and it, it served a function. So we got rid of that. Amazing. I'm off alcohol. I gained weight. Or people yeah. quit smoking. They yeah. put in sugar, right? Or they get off sugar and then they go and pick up something else of, of some kind, right? So and I think that's why in my mind, for, for people that aren't super analytical and not just like, tell me the data and I'll, I'll act, mm. everybody else needs to deal with their emotions because they're or find a way to manage their emotions without that, that, that tool. And I would argue that they're not managing their emotions at all. They're running away from them, right? They're blocking them. They're hiding yeah. from them. They're pushing them down. So, you know, a lot of those things need to be brought to the surface uncomfortable, difficult, confronting, tear jerking. Um, But until those things pass through you and we stop pushing them down, then, you know, we're not able to really make any healthy change. Uh, And it's like the people that try a diet for two weeks. And you mentioned there talking, um, talking to that woman the other day about ADHD is that, yeah, sometimes it's going to take 18 months. Like some people are in a situation where if you want to lose 30 kilograms, you know, or maybe a hundred pounds, you know, you might be in a situation where that's a five or six year commitment and that sucks. I'm with you. That sucks. I wish it could happen in in a month. Like, Mm. because you might have to heal your body, heal your gut to get it to absorb nutrition that actually pulls in, you know, the stuff that you need and the protein you need to, you know, we need to fire up the the pancreas and get that working again because that's been super insulin resistant for the last 25 years because of the sugar. there's so much that needs to be done and some people jump into diets and, and even the programs I run because we're all conditioned again for this like I want a result yesterday. Yes. And, <laughs> and I get it. I'm a human too. I, I, I want that one for you, but I also want it for myself in my own life. I'm like, damn it. Why don't I have abs yet? 
you know, I went to the gym three times this week. <laughs> but I but I think, yeah, this 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 process of understanding that like, oh wow, it took me 15 years to get here. It's probably not gonna take a month to get where I want to go. Mm, mm. And when it comes to like transferring addictions or unhealthy habits, exercise is the most widely accepted one. Yeah. Like but it is still quite often like it's something that has to be managed. You know, the amount of times I've seen people get into things like combat sport and once they get injured, the wheels will fall off because they have just transferred their addiction. Mm. I think the, for me the beautiful thing about about combat sport is you do get this, I don't know, it's a very intimate experience with yourself of understanding. So for me it's been extremely therapeutic and there's a lot of self-awareness in it. But I've seen myself over the years, wait, years ago, you know, I was just a chronic overtrainer, like just obsessed with exercise and just getting everything, my sense of self and everything out of that. And then I had to learn to harness and manage that and learn. The only reason I think I looked at it and started to learn what's this all about is because I was like, why do I keep coming back to this sport? I normally move, you know, like, why is this, this has got a hold over me. Um, let's unpack that and figure it out. What did you figure it out to be? Um, that's a good question. I think I just, I, it was the first thing I wasn't good at that I kept going back to. And that was the first question. I was like, if I don't feel good at this, why do I, why have I not moved on to something else? So there was, yeah. all, but that, that, there's a lot of cogs in the boxing machine. So on a practical level, it was like, well, you can get sick of one aspect of it and pivot to the next. So there's strength, there's skill, there's strategy, there's just the fitness. There's, there was always something kind of different and dynamic to doing it. Mm-hmm. But it was the person, it was the fact that I saw a person underneath my 30 years of the facade that I'd believed of myself. It was going, mm. oh, and that's what I get out of going back each week now is going, you know, it, it fires up the way I think, my creativity, the the, the way that I view daily life, things that happen in daily life, I just see all these metaphors in what happens in in the space of being under a certain amount of pressure and learning a skill and sensing empowerment and vulnerability and fear and, yeah. But, you know, like I said, there's been times where you just, you know, are we training or are we abusing ourselves? Are we training or are we suppressing emotions and running away? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that use uh, high-intensity sport or marathon running or whatever it is as some yeah. form of self-punishment or self-loathing yeah. uh, without possibly the awareness to realize that, that what's, that's what's going on because society obviously says, this is amazing, you're looking after your physical body and every person you meet says, oh, my God, that's so great that you're so into that. It's good for your body, good for your heart, you know, yeah. and it just gets validated time and time again. Um, I mean, there are worse ways to go about abusing yourself, but it doesn't stop the underlying cause not being dealt with. 100%. I reckon, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> just watching your mind tick over. I'm yeah. Like, where's, where's she going with this? <laughs> oh, look, we never know. We never know. Bloody hell. Um, still thinking about the Bristol chart, to be honest. Still thinking about my champion poo. <laughs> champion poo. <laughs> I might send you a photo of it later. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> oh, really? 
Yeah, oh God. yeah, totally. I'm glad so. I don't have your job and expertise then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, it's probably not the worst thing that I've I've had to do. Like, <laughs> now I want to know what else. Well, I worked in, you know, my first degree was forensic science, a molecular oh. biologist of forensic science. So, yeah, I was, you know, involved in different ways in autopsies and oh. um, stuff like that. So. Yeah, like it's very, it's an interesting experience to see a human with their chest open and their ribs, rib cage half off and everything. What in was front that of you. like? Were you like, oh, that's a person? Would you think about who that person used to be? Well, it's funny. I remember when it ha- you know, when that first happened many, many, many years ago now, um, a lot of people were asking that question. And what it made me realize um, or learn is that a person is a person because of their personality. And the, what I mean by that is that your personality is not just the, the way you express yourself verbally, but the way, you, the, the way you hold the muscles on your face, the way that you hold tension in your shoulders, like all of these little tiny things that they, they make up the personality because that's the way that your personality is like inhabiting the biology because another person will hold their shoulders different or they'll mm. smile in a different way mm. um, or the muscles in their face or the wrinkles on their face will be in a different way because they've expressed themselves repeatedly in a different way. Mm. And so once that personality is gone, there's now nothing behind how the body holds itself. Mm. Um, and so it's just kind of this limp nothingness, right? So it, it kind of was like, yeah, this was a human, but it's almost like the human element is not there anymore, if that makes sense. That's really interesting and I think you couldn't get that perspective if you were looking at a loved one because you are holding on to an attachment and a memory and, a, and all of the things that you want well, it to be. Well, a lot of people go to viewings and they're like, didn't even look like them. Uh, they often say hated it, regretted it, didn't it? They look like a stranger. Don't get it. And that's because the personality has fallen out of their face. Like it's not being held in the same way that it used to be. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. It was definitely interesting to do. (laughs) (laughs) What a literally morbid note to finish the (laughs) show on. Gone from guts to shit to <laughs> lockdowns to hangovers to sugar to death. <laughs> to dead bodies. <laughs> well, Maddie, as always, uh, is it though? Is it a pleasure to have spoken to you today? I'm not sure. We'll, you know, we'll get the feedback from the audience. But <laughs> I have absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure. Hey, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.